Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of To The Point Podcast. I'm Rachel Lyon here with my co-host, Eric Trexler. Eric, did you have a good holiday week? I did. We were actually in the Caribbean where they've got this odd fascination with cleansing your hands. <clears throat> Excuse me. Cleansing your hands every, every, uh, everywhere you go. You want to do water sports, you've got you've to do your hands. It's great. How yes. about you? I, you know, I was the in Cancun. Antiseptic, the antiseptic, uh, the the rubbing out of the Purell on your hands everywhere. It's great. Go. That's right. Cancun was the same yeah. at where we stayed, my parents and I. So uh, the only downfall was my house got broken into the first day we were there. Super bummer. Um, but they didn't take anything. Good goodness, because I had a security alarm that's so loud at three forty-five in the morning. You're not going to hang around while that's going off. So well, that's good. Austin Woo-hoo. or Houston? Austin in the Austin house. Yeah. yeah. Lawless people there in Austin. (laughs) It's uh, quickly becoming the least affordable city in America um, outside of California. I've watched. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but so who do I we would, have today? I'm so excited. I, I, I can't even tell you, Eric. We have Chris Krebs. He's a founding partner of the Krebs Stamos Group and served as the first director of the Department of Homeland Security, Cybersecurity, and Infrastructure Security Agency known as CISA. Welcome back to the podcast, Chris. Thanks, Rachel. Eric, good to see you again. Saw you a few weeks ago down in Florida, or that was Georgia, I yeah, guess. Yeah, Georgia, the Cypher but... Brief Conference. Chris, is it CISA <laughs> yeah. or CISA? Because we had an Ooh. argument down there about it. Good point. I, uh, <laughs> I, I try not to be pedantic about this, uh, but yes, as the 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 person that came up from, uh, came up rather with the name, it is CISA. CISA, so. got it. Duly noted. <laughs> I get confused because you hear it both ways, and then I'm like, "Wait a minute, what did what did Sissa say? How did they?" You know? It's Sissa like Dissa, right? <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa! Let's some... not go there. <laughs> <laughs> Try to have some sort of consistency across government agencies. Nice. So we've that. got the DoD and then the Homeland piece. There you go. And Love as I it. got yelled at, Sissa and DHS are part of the intelligence community down there. So. Uh, there, there is a part of CIS, uh, or rather DHS, the intelligence analysis function, of course. Uh, but, but CISA is not a member of the intelligence community. We would have some, some attachments or detailees. Um, and that's, that's actually kind of a, a, a point of discussion, I think, within the policy circles and on the hill of whether CISA should become part of the IC. I, I think that they've got more opportunity to excel uh, in the open source space more than probably any other agency yeah. uh, in the federal government. And when you think about the information ecosystem right now, just how it's exploding and that classified piece is, you know, proportionately shrinking, uh, right. you know, compared to proprietary and, and open source. So I think, D, you know, CISA needs to really focus on growing its understanding and enrichment and contextualizing of that open source space. Well, we were doing an exercise and I think you were the national security advisor, were you not? <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Sue Gordon, the former deputy uh, uh, national uh, intelligence dr- or director of national intelligence was the president. And I had the honor to serve as her national security advisor. And there was a, a, a big ransomware scenario. And it, that, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. 
It was fun for you. I was in the intelligence group. Rachel, you're going to love this story real quick. <laughs> and we, we were going through this ransomware exercise and what do you do next? And I threw out a suggestion. Uh, we, someone said, we're working with CISA on this and we need to inform CISA and let them know, you know what we're seeing. And, and I said, we also need to inform industry um, of what's going on as the IC. And, and I got these these two people just whipped their heads around and said, CISA is the IC. And I backed up. I was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> I was out. Got it. We're going to, we're going to inform. I, no, I remember that. Yeah. It was, I remember it was, that. Uh, and I said, well, well, wait a second. Aren't you going to have CISA make those notifications to the private sector? And I think, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, another one of those really interesting policy discussions from the government perspective, there's a lot of value for a range of different agencies to engage with the private sector. Um, but from the private sector perspective, it gets really confusing it and it really gets does. very complex and, and becomes a drain of resources when you think about, okay, I need to call the FBI, I need to call CISA, I need, if I'm energy, I need to call the Department of Energy, you know, I, I need to call the, the NSA. So, so I think one of those areas where there's a lot of room for improvement and simplification from a government perspective is, is streamline that government engagement process. And, and I'm always obviously a homer for CISA and I think CISA should be that, that front door. Uh, but, but honestly, in, until effectively the president of the United States says, this is how private sector engagement is going to work. Uh, with with government, it, you're going to continue to see that kind of equity battle. And it, it was always funny to me when I would testify in front of Congress. I've seen this happen to Jen Easterly, my successor, and then Chris Inglis, who's the national cyber director. And senators and Congress members would say, who's in charge of cyber? And I would always kind of be like, Nobody. why are you asking me? <laughs> you make those decisions, not me. Well, I took the cowardly approach and I punched out. I said, okay, as long as somebody notifies, <laughs> works with industry and owns it, I'm, I'm out. And I just, I, I readdressed it with the uh, two individuals the next day in a joking fashion, but I, it was not a, uh, it was not a fight I felt like fighting. <laughs> Nonetheless, that, it was a fun exercise. And I think those sorts of, those tabletop simulations are really valuable in terms of, particularly when you have really thoughtful people in the same room to, to test some assumptions that we all have on how things work, but also really throw out some uh, envelope bleeding edge type recommendations that, that can help inform the policy dis discussion. Cause that's honestly, that's where I, I, I listen, you know, when, when I was in the role at CISA, I would, I would just ravenously consume podcasts and, and articles and podcasts like this, um, but but others as well that, that I was, you know, I never thought about it that way. Maybe we can test that, right. uh, uh, test some of our assumptions and you come up with really well-rounded, well-tested, 360 degree almost uh, proofed uh, policy uh, concepts. Mm -hmm. Well, and examples. I mean, I remember your, the example on pineapple uh, pizza, right? Yep. I mean, there's some really creative stuff that that we saw come out of, of CISA and, and, and still does. So yeah. I, I agree with you. It, it was a great, Rachel, I wish you could have been there. People were in different roles. We had mm -hmm. senior former government officials leading the groups. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Right. You, you had currents too, right? Rob Joyce uh, from the NSA was there. Jen Easterly well, was yeah, there. Well, yeah, no, you're right. And it was playing the CISA director role. It was interesting. <laughs> like you may have been in the CISA group with Jen 
having never worked with DHS or CISA, right? You, mm -hmm. may, be, you may have been an yeah. IC person or, or you might've been from industry or whatever. And, and just seeing the way the machine works today, the way people think about it, it was, it was a relatively simple modern day exercise going through, mm -hmm. you know, hey, a ransomware attack's hitting America and some critical infrastructure. I won't go into a ton of detail. What do we do? What are the different groups across America that are responsible do? How do they handle it? What's CISA's role? What's the intelligence community's role? How does the DOD handle it? How does industry handle it? Chris and Sue Gordon were up on stage as the president and the national security advisor. They weren't allowing any, any, uh, any lightweight answers or any slack there if, if, if the groups weren't doing, which, which was great. But you got different perspectives into the way the government works. And I, I thought it was, I thought it was a, an immensely beneficial exercise. And it's a great it's a great conference too. Suzanne Kelly and the Cipher Brief, the Cipher Brief threat, uh, threat Conference every year down at Sea Island, Georgia, and uh, it, you know pound for pound when you think there are maybe a couple hundred people there, just the caliber of senior officials that attended. And I've been going to it for a few years, and and it, what's what's interesting to me is I think we we all appreciate here in this community, but you know years ago it was more about traditional espionage and human intelligence and CIA. SVR type battles uh, in intelligence and counterintelligence. I mean, the bulk of the discussion this year was cyber. Yeah. Agreed. And and I just think that goes. It's a great. It's a great, great, great development um, because I think we've been kind of the the you know the misfit toy, so to speak, uh, in the national security community. Uh, you know, at least the front half of the last decade, but. Things have absolutely shifted, and this is where the dialogue is. This is where yes. the conversations are on the Hill. This is where the funding is going on the Hill. Now, granted, they're still going to invest in aircraft carriers and F-35s, right. but, but cyber is kind of coming to its own. And so I hope that we, we can continue to push this discussion and, and broaden the aperture beyond just like Cyber Command is here to save the day. You know, we're not going to attack our way out of this problem. Right. We, we have to have a more meaningful Defensive, uh, organ uh, defensive conversation, regulatory conversation, diplomatic conversation. Uh, it's it's a really complex space, and it ain't gonna get any better anytime <laughs> soon. By the way, I mean, I, I might argue more it would, it's, it's only going day. to get worse. Right? No, I. So yeah, I mean, this is kind of the rhetorical like, trick trick I do in some of my speaking engagements. But I, but I, I, I say, look, close your eyes, think five years in the future. Right? Are you going to have more connected devices in your home, in your work environment, in your car, on your person, in your person? It, right. It's, it's, you know, William Gibson described it uh, cyberspace, right? Not a neuromancer as the unthinkable complexity, and, and mm -hmm. that is going to be the playing field for the rest of human history. The right. digitization movement is here to say, and it will only expand. Uh, whether we're talking about devices. Uh, uh, data. So, so we have to get out of yesterday's battles and be thinking five years in the right. future uh, about how to address these risks. And, and it is not about eradicating risk, right? It is about managing risk. Right. It is about operate, accepting the fact that we're operating in effectively a contested space. And how do you not just survive, but thrive in that mm -hmm. ecosystem? Yeah, and I think this goes to some of what you were saying in a recent Breaking Defense article. You know, the, the more connected we are, the more connected we are. That's me, not you. Uh, but th that means yeah. the adversaries has, has more opportunity. The attack surface right. has expanded. 
And I, I agree with you. We have a significant advantage, but I'd also say we we have the we have the most significant disadvantage, which is we're the most connected society out there. Oh, for sure. I mean, look, this is the this is the um, the the glass houses problem, and it, you know we we may have the biggest rocks, but we've got the glassiest houses. So so kind of the the breaking defense article. I think that was I think that came out after uh, the cyber war con conference here in D.C. that that uh, a few bubbas put together. John Holquist from uh, from Andians, kind of the the ringleader there. Um, and they just do, they do a great job pulling together kind of what the threat landscape looks like. And, and I, he asked me to keynote it and I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there going like, okay, these are like the top threat researchers, both academic and industry in the, in the, in the world, or at least in the country. But, you know, there's a fair representation from Europe there, uh, in, in Asia. And I was like, what, what the hell am I going to say to these guys that, that they don't already know? And I think it was, you know, I, so I, I, I tried to you know, make a pivot here and talk more about the trends that I'm seeing, mm-hmm. what I saw at CISA. And I've been spending the last year since my, uh, my, my termination tweet, um, <laughs> traveling around the country, talking to CEOs and CISOs and boards and experts like at the Cypher conference and, you know, three trends I'm coming away with. Um, and, and, you know, the third one I usually talk about is, is what you just mentioned is that the adversary, the sophisticated adversaries are pivoting towards uh, these disruptive capabilities. And, and, you know, don't listen to me. Look at the CISA FBI alert from this summer. They talked about Chinese state-sponsored actors that were uh, targeting U.S. natural gas pipelines. And there's a line in that alert that I always talk about that sets, should set the hair up on the back of your neck. And it's about how they're, they're looking to hold our critical infrastructure at risk. Mm-hmm. And, you know, overlap that alert in that one line with what you're seeing right now in Taiwan in the, you know, the Straits of Taiwan, that, that increase in, in tensions between mainland China and the Chinese Communist Party and Taiwan and how the U.S. is involved. And if that ever went hot, right. you know, I would assume a first strike package would include disruption of domestic critical infrastructure here in the U.S. And, and they're, you know, they may go after defense industrial base, like in Peter Singer's Ghost Fleet book. Uh, but but they're also going to start hitting that core infrastructure that would disrupt the ability of the government to to sustain itself to the American people's ability. You know, if, they, if this was to happen in the middle of winter and you shut down natural gas pipelines, uh, the, you know, particularly in the Midwest uh, in the in the dead of winter, like that's a problem. You're going to have to you're going to see U.S. government resources have to pivot focus to restoring operations. And, and so, yeah, that's, that's, that's a significant area of, of concern for me. And, you know, never mind the fact that, you know, yes, we talk about China, Russia, North Korea, and Iran all the time, but going back to that, that massive digitization and that massive connectiveness problem, every single government on the face of this earth is developing some kind of espionage capability some kind of domestic surveillance capability, some kind of likely financial criminal infrastructure. Yeah. I mean, that's how North Korea gets by. Uh, and then lastly, the ability to disrupt technical operations uh, in the spheres of influence. Mm-hmm. And right. so this is not just us, but this is this is in the Gulf region. Right. This is going to be throughout Asia. So it, it's, it's a significant uh, area that uh, of concern that every Every board 
member, every executive has to be thinking about cyber, not just as a technical risk, but as a business function risk, like, like colonial, right? IT shutdown leads to an operational shutdown and you're not shipping refined fuel products. Like I'm sitting here in DC, you know, I don't know what it was like up in Maryland, Eric, but you know, in Alexandria, Virginia, you couldn't get gas for, for a few days. Fortunately, I'm working from home and not driving very much. I'm in the office today, but wasn't driving. So I'm doing, you know, I don't know, 50 miles a week. I didn't need gas during that window. I was, I was very fortunate. Yeah. Yeah. It was available in Maryland, but it was, uh, you know, it was definitely something people were talking about. Fortunately, I wasn't driving. I don't don't know about you, Rachel. So that is actually a really interesting point you make though, (laughs) right? It, it, it's not just about the actual disruption. It's the psychosocial impact, right? It's oh, yeah. the panic buying. So there are runs on gas in Florida. Colonial pipeline does not feed Florida. The, uh, uh, gasoline is bought, brought into the state of Florida by barge. And, and yet the panic buying, just like toilet paper at the beginning of COVID, right? Um, you know, that sparked... Uh, runs on gas and, and what happened effectively is just like in hurricane season where where people are pulling gas out of the ground faster than the refuel trucks can put it back in well and we have people we talked about this on the show we we had people who were filling plastic bags with gar- with gas yeah or trash cans <laughs> like yeah. ridiculous things it's crazy so, yeah i mean it's it's definitely going to be a problem i don't know what the answer is i i really I, i've spent a lot of time thinking about it we know that, you know, be- probably before things go kinetic, when there are when there are geopolitical situations, most nation states have at least the option to lead with cyber. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, they will, I, but, but they I, have the option though. Yeah. Well, I, it will absolutely be part of a of a of an options package. I don't think, though, you know, we keep hearing about, um, you know, for twenty years now, we've heard about. Uh, cyber Pearl Harbors and right. Cyber 9 They haven't happened. You have seen smaller scale activities. You know, the Russians turn out the lights in Ukraine mm-hmm. in 2015 and 2016. Right. Um, you'll, you'll see those, I think, local disruptions. Um, uh, but, it, but it will absolutely lead to, you know, part of this is to change the decision calculus of the adversary. If you can, you know, start turning the lights out, uh, even if it's localized or regional, even if it's short term, that will influence uh, a decision-making process when you're when you're looking to project right. force. Yeah. What do you think, Rachel? I I think everything Chris <laughs> says is on point, Eric. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, unfortunately. Well, but it's so, it's so good Chris, to have an honest conversation, oh, though, about the landscape, Eric. I mean, it's you, you need to know what you're dealing with if if you're going to try to move forward. So. Yeah. I, yeah. So that's that's. I mean, that's part of it. And, you know, the kind of the joke that I make and Alex Thomas, my partner, we, you know, there's there, maybe there's like an, uh, you know, in, in Eastern philosophy that, that, um, you know, in says effectively, you know, if you accept your mortality, you make a different set of decisions. Um, and that's okay. Right. So if you can accept the fact that this is a contested environment, that you will be targeted, that you may be part of, um, you know, part of, part of a game plan, then, then you, you, you again, you make different decisions. You fo- you can focus on resilience. Exactly. Like, okay, I'm going to get hit. How do I restore 
operations? How do I investigate? How do I mitigate? How do I recover and get back up and running? Which I think is a, that that's where that's the necessary transformation in risk management decision mm-hmm. making. Um, you know, let's get away from the perimeter and and move towards that layer defense, whether we're calling it zero trust right. or assume breach or whatever it is. Um, you know, that's that's exactly the direction we need to be heading. So corporations who live in hurricane prone cities do that. I, I from what I've seen. You know, if you live in Tornado Alley, you may do that. How how many, what percentage in your experience of, of, of corporations across the globe or America, pick your landscape, actually think about resiliency, actually plan for it and look at it of, of continuance of operations and business continu- continuity, whatever you want to call it. I mean, what percentage? So I, you know... I'm trying to think, and I saw a presentation a few weeks ago um, by uh, Bryson Bort, who's who's at uh, Skythe and, and Grimm, uh, and he's behind like the ICS Village. And so he gave a presentation a couple weeks ago and said, effectively, in the U.S., there are 32 million uh, businesses. Now, okay, a good, you know, ha- probably half of that are single proprietor LLCs or something like that. But but anyway, you cut it. Maybe half the businesses in the in the country have some kind of security function, mm-hmm. and whether it's duties is otherwise assigned. But you start winnowing that down, and and at least as Bryson talks about it, maybe somewhere from a thousand to two thousand companies in the U.S. have effectively a red team capability right. to really be thinking more aggressively about their security posture, and and that's that is. That's a little frightening, yes. right? And that's so, actually better than I, pers- I expected. You would say, really. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, there are a lot of those kind of offensive security tools and companies out there. And so, you know, I don't know what the total addressable market is for a, an offensive security capability or red team as a service. But I, I think it's probably in that one to two thousand company uh, company set. Um, you know, maybe it's like the Russell 2000 or whatever. I don't know. Um, but but that, you know, that just speaks to, I think, in part the where we are on the on the maturity curve right. of security thinking from an executive perspective i think it also speaks to um the the business education process you know mbas and, and other technical uh leadership degrees security is an afterthought right we've got to change right. that and so i mm. again i think i think colonial was a big big wake-up call again because it shifted the view of cyber from a technical risk to a business right. risk. That's a good thing. So today's member, you know, board member cadre is is waking up and we need to be thinking about tomorrow's board cadre and make sure that we have more technically sophisticated, savvy, cyber mindset people right. um, in 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 that cohort. In so it's positions. so you know that will happen naturally and organically as is you know people you know, move up the ranks into to board positions. Um, but but that that's what this you know the resilience piece isn't just going to happen on its own right so rachel chris has been doing a lot of speaking and work on ransomware i know you have a couple questions i know it's your favorite topic well i just want to say chris first of all i follow your your twitter feed and i i really want to applaud your awesome use of the gif or gif depending on how you like to to say that <laughs> uh, m- mastery uh, of said usage uh yeah, I, nice. I, <laughs> it's it's um, 
Yeah, it, you know, I, I got a lot going on right now, <laughs> and um, between five kids and you know setting up a, a business, and I was working with the Aspen Institute on uh, the Commission on Information Disorder. We just released our our final report, and so I find it much more efficient to uh, to tweet using yeah gifs and and memes, and you know it's a good way of saying a lot more um, <laughs> than you know a hundred and whatever how many characters it is these days exactly. master of the jeff i'm just yeah <laughs> yeah jeff gif i'm not sure these days where, where it falls um, i go back and forth i think it depends on your age is is what i heard but i'm not sure um <laughs> but yes i would i would love to get your thoughts on on ransomware chris i you know a lot of the discussion i, I think the you know putting sanctions on like the suex exchange and how, how do we impair kind of the financial incentive but I mean, it, it, it's on the rise, or it, at least it feels like it is. And kind of what are you seeing out there from your perspective? Well, I so so without question, this has been kind of, at least from a public perspective, you know, kind of a, in, a, in a visibility perspective, kind of the year of ransomware, at least the big hits. But, but ransomware has been around for a decade or right. more. I mean, really, really what has happened more than anything is that that kind of the install base, that increasingly complex digitization space has has always been, you know, there for the taking. Mm-hmm. It's it's yeah. that's why we have as many cybersecurity companies as we do right now because it's it's a vulnerable and misconfigured space. And so what happened was the bad guys, in this case criminals, figured out how to monetize mm-hmm. the vulnerable the vulnerable misconfigured space and kind of as a as part of that is not only did they monetize it uh, primarily through the availability of cryptocurrencies outside of the traditional fiat economy space and the in the oversight mechanisms that prevent things like terrorist financing mm-hmm. you know we really kind of locked we we're able to lock that down over the last 15 years um, those same mechanisms to know your customer uh, AML uh, anti-money laundering you know those those have not been applied rigorously against cryptocurrency the cryptocurrency economy at least um but but again the adjacent piece is that there was a safe harbor Mm -hmm. safe haven in in principally russia but also in other countries around uh you know in in the former ussr eastern europe um and even even in ukraine Mm -hmm. and so uh, now, those some of those spaces like Ukraine in uh, Romania and others are becoming less hospitable to criminal uh, actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Belarus is still, you know, still there. You know, we saw an indictment, including some Iranian uh, actors uh, conducting ransomware last year or recently. Um, but but it all goes back to they've they've had a safe harbor. They've been able to conduct their activities. The authorities there know or very well should know. They've been informed enough. And so it kind of gets to the point right. of like, are you know, it doesn't matter if the Russian FSB is directing this stuff. Right. They know about it and they're not doing anything to stop it other than saying, you better not hit anybody that has a, you know, Cyrillic language package <laughs> installed on their Windows <laughs> machine. We're stealing from Americans. Um, <laughs> what's the problem? It's okay. Right. They get lots but, of money. But it, it, look, I mean, it, it kind of, as I've, as I've said uh, on, 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 ransomware operators in, in Russia, or whether it's affiliates or the dev groups, uh, crews, um, you know, it helps the Russian state, the Kremlin, 
for for a few reasons. Mm-hmm. One is that it actually kind of it builds a strategic cyber force. That thing we keep talking right. about here, like the civilian cyber corps. You know, that's basically kind of what you're doing here. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they really need to use them for for other reasons down the road, they can. Uh, the second is it it brings money home. Right. Yeah. Right. It brings revenue into the state. And, you know, if they track it against GDP, it would, you know, hey, a few hundred million dollars uh, in, in, in fiscal year 2022 is not a bad thing for, for Russia. And then, for a cost and then of the almost thing, nothing. Oh, right. Yeah. Minimal, minimal costs. Yeah. And then the third is uh, it, 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 it is consistent with the Kremlin's strategic objectives to, you know, Disrupt. undermine confidence of yeah. the West mm-hmm. and their their the the citizenry's trust in the national security establishment's ability to protect right. them, right? I mean, we're seeing hospitals, schools, state, and local government agencies, pipelines like that. That er- continues to erode confidence in the public's uh, confidence in, in 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 government's ability to protect them. Right. So it's somewhat aligned with their national their national goals there. Yeah, absolutely. At least as I see it. Um, I mean, it makes 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 sense, at least again, makes sense to me. Um, But so so then that kind of leaves you with the question, how are we going to get out of this? Right. And and I always I you know, we all want silver bullets, right? We all want single shot solutions and it's just not going to happen here. Mm You know, even if Russia, which they won't clamp down universally on ransomware, um, they would just go, you know, Iran would do it. They would go to a different place. They are doing it. It, So it's not just it's again, remember, every country on the face of the earth Mm -hmm. is developing capabilities, including financial criminal infrastructure. So so we you know, we so we think we need to continue to push pressure on on Russia. And I think the the jury's still out. Um, on whether the the administration's engagements with the Kremlin um, have been successful, I mean, there's some indications it it has been, um, but but it, again, I think it's we, I don't know if we have enough data. Right. You certainly look put it this way: you certainly haven't seen the colonial or JBS like events. Mm-hmm. You, you've seen Revel come back up and then get smacked back down. Right. So, I, jury's still out there. Um, there are a lot of people that don't think that the, the the administration's efforts of you know diplomatic engagement to reduce cybercrime and you know I I'm not they don't think it's working I'm I'm not ready to go there yet um, and so then what's left right. right so first is we got to continue targeting uh, you know enforcement actions against the criminal infrastructure you talked about the Suez Exchange you know uh, based out of Czech Republic that is one of those primary wallets or exchanges rather mm-hmm. for uh for russian actors they're you know they they allegedly reportedly whatever word we want to use here went after um uh, some other uh cryptocurrency bits of the ecosystem mm-hmm. last week in in moscow so i think we we keep going there and and the, you know it's time to bring the cryptocurrency community into the the regulated yeah. space at least They've been there. Right. We just now need to enforce upon it. And I think this de- Treasury Department uh, is focused on doing that. And that's going to require partnerships with, yes. with our foreign uh, allies as well. Yeah. And the last thing is like, look, again, it's that soft underbelly. We have to continue to raise the bar mm-hmm. on defense 
and make ourselves harder targets. Yeah. And and I think this is where it truly is incumbent upon the private sector where they have a corporate social responsibility. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it's almost part of the the ESG movement at boards of you know uh, environmental uh, uh, social and governance. Like I think cyber belongs there because what's happening when companies uh, uh, present themselves as such a easy target, you that we've allowed this criminal enterprise and ransomware to proliferate really, really uh, blossom that w- what we're having to do is shift national security assets, intelligence community, cyber command, law enforcement assets uh, to, to, to stopping this. And, and the problem is it's a zero sum game in the U.S. government, whether we like it or right. not. Um, so by by tasking, retasking uh, an intelligence community capability away from uh, who knows what to deal with ransomware, we, we now may have a blind spot. And so this is where for years and years you've heard the private sector say we need the government to help us on on cyber. Right. It's like, well, now the government can say we need you to help us. Exactly. on cyber. Exactly. Um I do want to be cognizant of time, but I, I, I do know that uh, supply chain is such a hot topic right now, uh, I, you know, securing that. And, um, you know, interestingly, I, we, we recently had Sadaka Ramakrishna on, uh, CEO of SolarWinds, and I think he was maybe one of the, the – SolarWinds was one of the first clients or, that you had at the yep. Krebs Damos group. And, um, you know, that was a fascinating experience that he shared with us, um, but I, I'm sure you're, you're seeing a lot more on the front lines uh, as part of your work today. Uh, I would love to hear yeah. your perspective on that as well. So that, yeah, SolarWinds was kind of the, is the KSG uh, plank holder client. <laughs> Number one, you know, Alex and I had been talking about pulling something together and yeah, maybe start in April when we've kind of got our lives in order. Uh, and then Sudocker calls and says, hey, I'm starting in January. We would love to, for you guys to kind of sit on my shoulders and help me get through this uh, and understand what I'm dealing with. And And it was just, you know, I don't know if it was FOMO and I was, uh, I was just kind of, uh, going through some withdrawal, but it seemed to me an opportunity to, to continue to engage, um, in a meaningful way in, in this national security space. Um, but, but it goes to kind of the theory of, of our company is that there are systemically important companies, systemically important, uh, um, problems Mm -hmm. that we, you know, it's not thinking about yesterday. It's thinking about what the next five years looks right. like. And, and, you know, the, the thing about the SVR campaign, whether we're calling it Nobelium, Holiday Bear or whatever <laughs> it is, um, uh, the, the, the key takeaway here is that, that it was not just solar winds, right? There were other right. companies, others that were involved. And so what you're just seeing is a manifestation. It's actually, as I see it, this was the exact responsible way for Sudocker to come forward and be as transparent mm-hmm. and partner as well as he did with government and yes. get out there and talk about his problem. I mean, that's to me, that's good security yes. leadership yes. is being transparent and talk about it. There are other companies, again, that got hit that did not come forward mm-hmm. that have been hiding. And, and, and I, you know, people know who they are and, and that matters. So, so beyond that though, the, the real takeaway. So I talked about a couple trends and takeaways I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. First is the ransomware piece. Or rather, first was that destructive attack. Second was ransomware. The third trend I'm seeing is, and I already touched on this a little bit, but but the the SVR and the Chinese MSS and others, they they have 
they have shopping lists. Mm-hmm. They have target sets that they go through. There are dedicated units in these, uh, you know, in these foreign intelligence services that work through the IT services and products supply chain because they they want to be in positions to pivot. They're not, they're not going after the bad guys anymore at the front. Their targets. Uh, like State Department and Treasury and the big banks and defense industrial base. To them, it's not as effective to use a single shot access to get into an agency. And once you block them out, you're, 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 you know, you're done. You have to move on from that target. But if you can make that, make the transition and the pivot into the supply chain where you have broader visibility, almost God's mm-hmm. eye into multiple targets, it's a much more efficient it allows them what we're kind of calling access everywhere, mm-hmm. right? So, so they want the ability to look uh, almost in near real time at their targets of choice, wow. and, and it's so it really amounts to a global cyber intelligence collection capability, and, and that's the ideal. That is what that is what the SVR was trying and is still trying to do. You saw it with the Microsoft third-party reseller. Uh, a, a noted a report from a couple weeks ago, and, and the MSS is doing it too. That's what that's what CloudHopper was all about from two two and a half three years ago. Um, and so that's that. To, and this is really one of the harder problems because trust, right. right? We operate in a in a in an environment that's that's based on trust. And so when when your software provider, uh, you know, your vendor sends you an update package that said that's signed. Mm-hmm. By them, it says this is good to go. You, you know, most organizations don't have the ability to dig into that code right. and and test it and, and validate. Um, and and honestly, that nor should they. It's not efficient. So uh, that's that's what I see a lot of organizations right now uh, struggling with. And you know, whether zero trust and you know, relentlessly aggressively. Uh, uh, you know, looking, signaling and validating every transaction, either whether it's identity or data, uh, you know, whether that's going to fix it. Um, you know, this is this is the space that there's a lot of industry discussion right now. Yeah, yeah I, I love their idea. Of, uh, I think it's uh, secure by design. Was that it, Rachel? Yeah. Where they're really yeah. looking. I mean, you know, yeah. talk about an organization that encountered an issue and, and really doubled down on addressing it. Yes. It was such an impressive interview. Chris, as, as we wrap up, I, I have one question I want to ask. You, you've been out of government just over a year now. And you're advising, you're, you're, you're meeting with, with people in and out of government and commercial industry. Where do you think you have more power? When you, when you were in, in, in CISA, um, looking at, you know, you secured, you and the team secured the election and, and a ton of other things that weren't reported on. Or now that you're able to take that knowledge and go out and really, really dig in deep with corporate America and elsewhere, yeah. where, where can you move the needle more? Um, it's, you know, honestly, I haven't thought about the question in this framing, but I, I, I almost, I almost kind of want to be the, the devil to Jen Easterly's angel, right? She's <laughs> in the government role. Um, has a, a much higher bar of, um, uh, you know, you know, the way she engages, um, you know, having been in those positions, you know, you, you, you can't always say what needs to be said or right. you want to say, because there's a, 
there's a more diverse and broader set of equities that you have to balance. And there are other people that, that have a chop on it. And now, you know, where I am in, in life and, uh, you know, I don't necessarily have those filters. It's almost I'm a little bit like Phineas Gage after he got the the the, the rail uh, railroad spike through, you know, in his frontal frontal lobe. Um, I can kind of use my memes and gifts on Twitter to say what I I want. I can do podcasts <laughs> like this and really kind of get to some of the harder harder uh, harder targets. But I, I do get out. Um, and just talk to a different set of people now. And and what I want to be is I want to help drive that system yes. mission forward because yeah. that's an organization that is going to have generational impact. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just, what I'm just so excited about and so thankful for was that, you know, we got CISA on the map effectively for, for doing good yes. work. And it's very rare that an organization like that uh, achieves visibility and in, in platform to doing good work rather than doing bad work. Right. Well, and that so, quickly too, uh, you know, from, just, from stand up right. and, until like results. Yeah. I mean, it, right. It, I mean, it had been around kind of in, in different um, iterations for, for, for a while, but re- you know, the biggest challenge, honestly, one of the biggest challenges, at least in the, in, in the before times, I guess, before CISA was the organization was known as the national protection and programs director. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, imagine going to a recruiting fair or putting up a booth at RSA <laughs> and saying, hi, we're the what? You're what? Rachel, we're NPPD. We would like let me tell you what that is. And we'd like to talk to you about joining. Yeah. I, so it just from recruiting, you know, honestly, like partly when you go out and you market as well, um, it's like, you know, you're. You're you're trying to work with a stakeholder somewhere out in in you know the the Southwest or, or wherever, and you're knocking on the door and say, hey, you know, or you give them a call, you send them an email, you run into them at a conference and say, hey, we're we're with NPPD and we'd love to talk to you. And they're like, what 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 do you mean you're within? I don't understand what that is. Or yeah. there were certain there was there were actually a lot of cases where we'd show up and and particularly at universe and say, Hey, we're with the department of Homeland security. We'd like to talk to you about, and they're like, Oh, I got to get the lawyers in the room. DHS. We've got, you know, there, there are all these other issues. So as soon as, as soon as we say we're with the cyber and infrastructure security agency, yes, that's a mouthful, but at least it tells you as a potential consumer Mm -hmm. uh, or, or partner, what you're, what you're dealing Mm -hmm. with. And, and that was to me probably the biggest impact because I mean, look, everybody knows that that branding a name is is just about everything. And Mm. the government, particularly the U.S. government's really, really bad at naming things. (laughs) So it's different is what I'm hearing, but you're less constrained now. Yes. And do you have a Rubik's Cube? I also... <laughs> I I do. Jen gave me one, and I don't know where it's. I think the kids have it upstairs. I I I understand how it works, right? Their algorithms. Yeah. Um, I just have not uh, taken the time to uh, memorize and practice. And I mean, but she's amazing at this thing, right? You can take a scrambled Rubik's cube. She's got speed cubes, and so she'll just look at it, right? Figure it and I'm like, okay, so it's this, it's do, 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 do. Behind the back, boom, there you go. Holy moly. Like, I want to put I mean, my 14 year old up against her. He's down to 31 <laughs> seconds. That's pretty awesome. But it, you know, honestly, though, it's, it's almost just like everything else. It's, it's, it's practice right. and, 
and uh, and you can get it right. Well, he's studying the algorithms, as he calls them, and then he's now beating me in chess. Same thing. Oh, oh yeah. yeah oh yeah. Kids. Same. Same thing there, right? Okay, Rachel, that was my question. Oh, good, good. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for joining us today. This has been a fantastic uh, discussion. Thanks for sharing your insights, you know, from being on the front lines of cyber trenches for for many, many, many years. Um, you know, and thanks for the great work you continue to do because we, we need you out there <laughs> fighting the good fight. Yeah, well, thanks. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This was this has been great. And, you know, what the thing that excites me the most is that I can still engage and, you know, just because I'm not in the CISA role anymore, I can I still have the ability to, to talk and hopefully be a be a positive voice, positive uh, influence in the community, which is, you know, I think far too often seems to be kind of trying to tear itself down a little yeah. bit. And there's some toxic aspects here. So I think there's a lot we can do together. And I think if we keep uh, keep pushing towards uh, bringing everybody into the same big tent, we're going to we're going to be OK, even if the world does seem to be a pretty scary place right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, to all our listeners, thank you so much for joining us this week. And, and as always, hit the subscribe button and you get a fresh, fresh podcast in your inbox every Tuesday. Uh, until next time, be safe. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. 